All right, we're going to continue our series called Take the Land. Take the Land. Everybody's got a land to take. In Day Spring, we have a land to take. So we're talking collectively as a church, what is the land that we're going to take? And we're talking individually as people, what is the land that we have to take? And last week, we started off about scouting the land about going in and looking for opportunities to scout the land. Joshua was given a word by the Lord that the land is yours. Actually, this started with Moses. In Deuteronomy, it tells us that Moses was told, the land is yours and the oil in it. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to survey our land, our 70 acres out back. See if we got any oil out there. Just (laughs) proclaim that word. It'd be nice to have an oil field in the backyard, wouldn't it? Hey, I'd take $112 a barrel with 1,000 barrels a day. I mean, if you're not going to speak it, I'm going to at least speak it and hope for it. <laughs> so God gave the nation of Israel a land, but they, they got nervous about the land because it had some giants and it had some opposition and, and some uh, uh, things that appeared to be bigger than they needed to be. And so what they did is they operated in fear instead of faith and they lost out. A whole generation lost out on taking the land. Well, Moses dies A new generation is born, and Joshua is promoted. And God tells Joshua, I've given you this land. In fact, everywhere you put your foot will be blessed. He says, do not be afraid or dismayed, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. You know what that speaks to me? You got to move. Sometimes we get so caught up and ask God, please, Lord, speak to me, 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 speak to me. He's like, hey, I already spoke to you. Get to moving. Just take that first step. So we scouted the land. We looked at the land. You know what was still in the land when Joshua went and looked at it? Well, he sent two other spies to look at it. There were still giant walls around cities. There were still giants that lived in the land. There was still a lot of opposition, a lot of enemies, and a lot of land to take. Nothing had changed in 40 years other than Joshua was not going to lose out on the land because of fear he was going to step out in faith. And I believe as a church that's where we're at. I don't think that we have necessarily lost out on taking land. But we might have delayed some land that we were supposed to take. Now, as a new leader, I'm trying to get in here and ask questions and figure out if there is land that we have supposed to be taking that we have slept on, that we have not started taking. And, and so we're doing that together. But in your own life, if you just sat there and you thought to yourself for a minute, you said, self, are there areas in my life where I've allowed fear to stop me from stepping into God's goodness? From all that God has for me, then that is the part of the land that you are being required to take in this next season. So individually and as a church, And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about, uh, uh, the title of the message is called A Step of Faith, A Move of God. And if you'll stand with me for the reading, uh, for the honoring of the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, there's a maroon Bible in front of you that you can pick up and read. It's on page 198 in my Bible. And as you're standing, let me just remind you of one thing. We're going to take a special missions offering at the end of service. Our assistant superintendent, Pastor Jim Palmer, was tragically killed in a car accident last week. And his heart was for missions. And instead of flowers, they asked if churches would bring on new missionaries to support for for a tribute to Pastor Jim's life and legacy. And I thought, hey, we could do that. And so let's, we're we're going to take an offering at the end of service, all of the offering will go to bring on new missionaries. All of the offering will go to bring on new missionaries. So let me tell you, bring on new missionaries looks like $125 a month. 
So if you could do $125 over the next 12 months, you can just put that in a one-time gift or you can say, hey, I'll do that ongoing. Do a seed gift today of $125 and then you'll do that recurring every month. We'll add that into the total number and next week I'll tell you how many missionaries we brought on to support. Is that cool? All right, so that'll be at the end. So this is what Joshua 3 says. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Now some of the early birds are already thinking, yeah. For me, I'm like, no, Lord, no. If this was me, it would say, now Cody never went to bed. He was still up early in the morning. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know that, sorry, do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. That's really choppy English for saying, don't get in front of it. <laughs> and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. That they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites, and the Gersherites and the Ammon, er, uh, uh, that was tongues. Let's hear what the interpretation is. Amorites, the Jebusites. It's a lot of ites. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves 12 men of the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. Have you ever seen a heap of water? So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is near Zeraton. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah or the Dead Sea, felled and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood, stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Add to it. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
What an incredible story, isn't it? Oh man, it's, I love this story. I think it would be so cool not to be the children of Israel, but to be the people that were in the land upstream. All of a sudden the water just stops and boom, it's just heaped up right there. I don't know about you, but I would be going, uh, something's going on. Now imagine, you go over to the Maumee River during the walleye run, you walk up to it and you're just standing there like, where'd the water go? And down by Lake Erie, it's heaped up. You'd be saying, okay, okay, wait a minute. Was there a trumpet sound earlier today? Okay, did I get left behind? You'd be freaking out just a little bit. You'd be panicking. So I always wonder, I wish we knew what their story was about this. I wish there was some legend about the heaping water. But if you know about water and the structure of it, the only way that water maybe could heap would be as ice. That would be the only way that it could block up. So I wonder if it just froze. Um, That's just an interesting way to think about it. Or if there was an angel that just stood there and just heaped it up and just held his hand there while it just heaped there. I wonder what the fish did in the heap of water. Do you think that they continued to fight gravity and swim upstream? Or do you think they just kind of gave up and went back into the Sea of Galilee? These are things that I think of when I read the Bible. Okay, and I have to read the Bible like that because sometimes when you just read the Bible, you get lost in the words and you start to drift a little bit. And so when I read a narrative, I just start asking random questions like that. And it really just kind of makes the story come alive to me. So just a little technique that you can do in your Bible reading to keep it coming alive. If it's, if it's a list of names, those get boring, don't they? You're like, who is this, begot this, begot this, begot this, begot this, begot this, like Porky the Pig. Ba-dip, ba-dip, ba-dip. That's all, folks. I just start imagining their stories. Have you ever been people watching at the mall and you attribute stories to them as they go? Or is that just me? I mean, I make up whole things. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I won't tell you where my mind goes, but it's, it's, it's a thing of repentance sometimes, but we're good. But this story teaches us a lot. We're gonna go into, verse, uh, into chapter four too because we wanna really see what God's word is saying to us this morning about how to take the land. An act of God or a move of God requires a step of faith on our part. And if you read the story, it says this in verse three, that when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, that you shall set out from your place and go after it. That as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant move, you don't ask for God to speak, you don't wonder if it's God's will, you don't ask for confirmation. As soon as you see it, you go after it. This tells me that when you take the land, you better make sure that God's presence goes before you. You cannot outrun and outpace God's presence. But I wonder how many times we stop God's move because we try to outpace God's move. See, when God is taking us into new land, it requires that his presence goes before us because if it doesn't go before us, then we're walking into the land blind. If God's presence goes before us, then his presence goes as an illuminating light that shows us the way that we should go. And sometimes when I outpace God's direction and God's plan, I get in front of his presence, I start to make silly decisions with my life. I start to think that God's doing this, so I do this. I start to think God might be doing this, so I do this. Let me explain it to you this way. For some reason, uh, well, I know the reason. I wasn't a very good high school student. 
I really liked the social dynamics of high school, but I didn't really like the educational requirements of high school. And in high school, I learned a lot about negotiation. You can talk your way into a C. You really can. How do I know? Because I've done it. Now, if there are any youth in the room, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Do not do as I did, please, because it costs a lot of money. Now, because I did high school this way, man, I had a lot of fun and a lot of friends, but I also didn't have any scholarships coming out of high school. I knew that God had called me into ministry, so I went to Bible school like everybody does. And instead of, you know, working hard and maybe going to junior college or community college for a little bit, I just jumped right in to a school that required me to pay them about $32,000 a year. And how do you do this? Well, you do it on student loan debt. Right? Because God's provision is through student loan debt. If God spoke it, that I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it with student loan debt. So I did that. I went to Northwest University. It's Assemblies of God School in Kirkland, Washington. So I was there for two years. I got really good uh, Pentecostal doctrine. And two years into that, I met Deborah. She did not live in, Vancouver, or in, in Seattle, Washington. She lived in Vancouver, Washington, which was about three hours south. I knew at this point in my life that I did not have the self-control required for a long-distance relationship. Can I just be honest this morning? And so I heard from the Lord, I better move because I'm going to marry this girl. If I don't move, I'm going to mess it up in a big way. So I transferred to another school. I transferred to a school called Multnomah University. Now, Multnomah University is a, it's a, a sister school of Dallas Theological Seminary, which is the foundational school of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you know a lot about Pentecostal doctrine and Baptist doctrine. They don't get along a lot of the time. So Multnomah saw this as an opportunity to redeem this lost individual. And so they did not take any 39 and a half credits that I had already paid for. So here we have now debt on top of debt. So I graduated from my bachelor's degree with $108,000 in student loan debt. Come on, somebody. I'm not even a doctor. About that time, Forbes brought out an article, the worst degree to get for the compensation required, and a pastor was at the top of it. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lanta, what is going on here? So then I married Deborah, and she had some student loan debt, but she did it more reasonably than I did. We paid hers off in like two years. And our, mine was like a wait. Now here's the outpacing God part. I believe that if I would have stewarded well and, and got into a financial plan, did some Dave Ramsey, that God would have moved a lot faster than he did in my life. But what I decided to do, excuse me, was to trust Visa, Discover Card, and American Express more than I trusted God. You know, in God's kingdom and economy, if I give him 10%, then he gives it back good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. But with Visa, if they give me $3,500 and I spend it, I get to give it back plus 10%. <laughs> compounded quarterly. And then annually again. Look, I wasn't good at math in high school, but when you start making $108,000 worth of student loan debt payments, you get pretty good at the amortization schedule. So I started uh, putting some things on credit. I began to outpace God's will or God's move in my life. God's presence was back here and obedience, and I was running forward to try to tackle things the way that I thought it should be done. 
So I racked up, I don't know, another $125,000 in credit card debt. Three, four years into our marriage. Not 120, yeah, Deborah's correct, just 25,000. Still a lot. Okay, so now we have, what, $133,000 of student loan debt and credit card debt combined. Woo! As a college pastor, I needed to write a book. <laughs> or write a worship song. I know. I know how Christians work. I could start an anointing oil business and I could run the rampant. I could go to Galilee and get oil-pressed olives from right there in Galilee and sell it at a high markup. And I know that Christians would buy it. And look, I've got inroads into the Pentecostal movement and into the Baptist movement, man. I can make a killing. This is how I thought. I tell Deborah, we're starting an anointing oil business. No, we're not. Okay, I got another one. We're going to start a three-on-three basketball contest. We'll just upcharge everybody. We'll get uh, sponsors to pay for it. We'll pocket the rest. She says, no, we're not doing that. I started calling her Dream Crusher. <laughs> Look, if you're already carrying $133,000 of debt, it's really not good to call your wife names because your marriage is already compromised, okay? So if you're in that situation, just be kind. But no, I couldn't be kind. Why? Because I was outpacing God's presence. So I started making bonehead decisions. We got to a point in our marriage where we were looking at our debt and it just felt like it was a mountain that was gonna overtake us. Just felt like we were never gonna get out of it. This is who we are. We're people in debt. We started living that way from a mentality of lack instead of in a mentality of abundance. And I just, I had hid the credit card debt from Deborah, which is very not good to do. You know, anything hidden is still used by the enemy, but anything brought into the light is not used by the enemy anymore. So look, if you've got a hidden sin, get it out. Confession is good. Repentance is better. Confess and repent. Get it out. The enemy can't use it against you anymore. So I, one day we just had this come to Jesus moment. We sat down. We got it all on the table. I told her everything. And she looked at me with just resolve in her eyes and said, okay, we can do this. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. The Lord spoke to Deborah. The Lord spoke to Deborah and said, if you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. If you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. We said, okay. And so we, uh, we, we did financial peace with Dave Ramsey. We got on a budget. We're still on a budget. We started saving. We started paying off the snowball debt, taking one credit card at a time, rolling it down, rolling it down, rolling it down. We started getting serious about it. Stop spending on a credit card, only use cash. That was hard. We, we didn't buy new clothes for like seven years, it felt like. Because we had kids, they got all the clothes. They just had to do laundry, after laundry, after laundry. And then diapers, Jesus brought diapers in the name of Jesus, praise God. Look, if you see a young couple with babies, buy them diapers in the name of Jesus, okay? We still stopped outpacing God's presence and we got right behind God's presence and we said, if we see God move, we'll go that way. And what we really felt was not the constriction of debt anymore, but it was the sadness that we couldn't give the way we felt God had wanted us to give. We would be at a missions event, we couldn't give because it wasn't in our budget. 
And we were like, God, we want to do this. And he said, no, if you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. Just trust me. And so we did that. And uh, we started paying it down, paying it down, paying it down, paying it down, paying it down. And then God brought us a house that was foreclosed on, and we flipped it, and it flipped it with enough money to pay off our debt. Now listen, listen to the word. Listen to the word. If you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. It was not in a get-rich-quick scheme. It wasn't in over-leveraged credit cards where you pay 0% interest on this card and you move it over here. It wasn't in those kind of gimmicks. It was in faithfulness over time. And God's presence will lead us into the land that we're supposed to take. How many times do we outpace God's presence? I love to preach it up. I love to get all hot, sweaty up here and roll around. But sometimes we need a maturing word that says if God's presence is not in it, we're not going to go after it. If God's presence has not, if we have not seen the Ark of the Covenant move, we're not going to move. That if we are in debt, we're going to get out of debt. Why? Because it's not God's best for our life. That if we have a broken marriage, we're going to get marriage help. Why? Because a, a healthy marriage is God's best for our life that we're not gonna come into this place and play church and act like we got all together and put our church clothes on on Sunday and then walk out a mess, that we are gonna not go unless God's presence goes with us. And sometimes God's presence looks like discipline and time, faithfulness over time. And sometimes God's presence looks like going to the chili cook-off next weekend. <laughs> God's presence led the children of Israel it didn't push them, it didn't force them, it didn't beat them over the head. It wasn't a door that they had to knock and push open. They weren't trying to get into the land. God's presence went before them. This is how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit leads and guides. He does not push and force, but he leads and guides. And you and I have the opportunity to either walk where he walks or walk contrary to where he walks. So if we're pushing for something to happen in our life, we're knocking on a door that's just not opening. We're not acting like the Holy Spirit because that's not how the Holy Spirit acts. So leading and guiding is what we need to be about. This is why the word says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Proverbs says it this way, lean not on your own understandings. That word understanding there doesn't mean mental cognitive ability, but it means that your strengths and skill sets that come out from your hands, the abilities that you have, that's your understanding. How do you work with your hands? It's not from your own wisdom that you go into the land, but it's being led by the Holy Spirit. When God's presence moves, we move. God's presence looks like healthy finances, healthy marriages, and healthy relationships. Some of us can't take the land that God has given us because we've got fragmented relationships that we need to deal with. That's not a very fun word, is it? That doesn't excite me either that when God quickens me to ask somebody for forgiveness that I have to do it. But if God's presence is there, I better follow it. Because if I don't follow it, I'm gonna miss the land. Here's the next thing that we see. Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This is what this tells me, that you can't go into the land with yesterday's habits. 
Yesterday's habits were good for yesterday. But the land requires a new system of thinking and a new, uh, uh, new habits to walk in. That word sanctified is the word, I can't even say it because I'm not Hebrew. Oh no. Kadash. It's the word kadash. It means to set apart or to forfeit for the use of the sanctuary. It means to be holy. This means that if we have habits that have us one step in the world and one step in the church, those habits are not gonna sustain us into the land that God wants to take us into. As a church, we can't have a divided house and divided vision. We have to be all together. We have to pull all of our weight together. If we're gonna reach 30 miles out from this point right here, and somebody challenged me, maybe go 50 miles out. I think it's because it touched the land that they wanted to take, and I'm good with that. <laughs> we better have unity, right? We better walk together in step. It requires new habits. This is why we're gonna be a church that prays. We're not gonna be a church that talks about prayer. We're not gonna be a church that says somebody else should pray. We are gonna be a praying church. That's why we're gonna have Wednesday nights devoted to prayer. Not because it's a production, not because it's a program, but it's because who we are. And so if you can't be here praying with us, then be in your house praying. Make a war room in your house and draw 50 mile radius map and put it up of Wood County, uh, uh, is it Wood County? Wood County and the surrounding area and go after and pray, call out the land because it requires new habits. We're not going in on yesterday's habits. The same is true with you. You can't go into your land on yesterday's habits. You can't say, well, this is just how it's always been. Always been doesn't get you there. It's a new season, it's a new day. In fact, Isaiah 43, 19 says what? God is doing a new thing. He's springing up something new. He's making a way in the wilderness, new streams in the desert. A new way requires new habits. So we have to be removed from commonality. We have to be set apart. We have to get ready for a spiritual battle. We can no longer fight spiritual battles with physical answers. We have to fight spiritual battles with spiritual answers. This is what Joshua said. He didn't say, everybody pick up a sword. Everybody armor up, we're taking on Jericho. He didn't do morning calisthenics and get everybody in their ranks and call the armored guard to go in front of him. He said, no, spiritually make yourselves ready because God's about to do something great. If I could stand up here and tell you, Dayspring, get yourself ready. Set yourself apart, sanctify yourself. Make things right that have been wrong. Things that are fragmented, make them right again. That's what Hebrews says. When we come to the throne room, we're met with God's grace and he takes everything that was dislocated and reattaches it once again. What has kept you out of God's presence? We're in a spiritual battle, right? We're in a spiritual battle. So if you feel like, man, life isn't just the way that it should go with, for me right now, maybe you stop thinking physically and start thinking spiritually. God, is there something you told me to do that I didn't do? God, is there something that I was supposed to step into that I didn't step into? God, you show me, reveal to me your plans. We love Jeremiah 29, 11, don't we? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Sometimes we forget about that phrase, that I have for you, says the Lord. You say, God, you say you know the plans that I have for myself. 
Plans of prospering me and, and, and keeping me. And God, the word of God says, plans that I have for you. New land requires new habits. So we have to sanctify ourselves. We have to remain committed to each other. Now this is the real sermon. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. It says that, in verse uh, 13, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord of all of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. Glory be to God. Now this is a familiar experience for the children of Israel. Water has not been an issue for them before. See, their parents and their grandparents, the generation before them, was not just at a river, but they were at a sea. And Moses stood in front of that sea with his staff and went, boom! And the water went, boom! And they walked across like, yeah, look at my God. He can supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. They walked across on dry land, and then the waters closed in again. Now it says that this was at the time of harvest. The Jordan River is not a big river, except at the time of harvest. Then it's out of its banks, and it goes from a, a little river contained in a valley to a large river about three miles wide, white-capped rapids. So imagine, the first thing they look at is not just a little river, but a raging river. They got to all get across this. And they're like, God has done it. I've seen you move. Uh, you split the Red Sea. When Moses rose his staff, we walked on dry ground. They're, they're worshiping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh. Right? And they get up to the sea. And Joshua says, it's going to be different. I don't have a staff. Moses took it. This is what's required of this generation. Get your feet wet. The water will not part until there is a step into the water. Okay, the priests are like, you better be right. You better be right. Because if you're wrong, we die. You better be, have you ever said that to God? Okay, God, this better be you. Here we go. You better be right. Oh, God, you better be right. This is what it requires of us. God's next move is dependent upon our next step of obedience. God's next great move in this community, God's next great move in your life is dependent upon your next step of obedience. And the next step of obedience often comes when it looks like it is the scariest. God, you said you would deliver me from the water. He's like, step up. No. No. There's got to be another way. No. Step in. No, God. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not making the first phone call. They wronged me. Step in. God, I can't. I can't do it. It's too hard. Step in. Okay, listen, Lord, remember when you did that whole thing with the, the staff and the Red Sea parting? That was really cool. I'd love to see that again. Let's do it that way. 
Oh, remember when God moved at our church this way? Oh, it felt so good. Let's do it that way again. Oh, God, do you remember when you spoke to me in my life about that time of season? Oh, God, speak to me that way again. Oh, God, do you remember how we used to win the loss this way? God, please do that again. But maybe, maybe what God needs to do in this season will feel like what it felt like in last season, but will look different in form in this season. And it's not requiring a move of God with a staff and a Red Sea party, but faithful men and women in this church who decide, I'll get my feet wet. I'll step in. I don't care if the river's raging. I don't care if it's a violent torrent. I don't care if it's scary. I don't care if I don't know what it is. I don't care what's happened. I don't care how I've been hurt. Today, I'm gonna step into the water. Do we have any priests and Levites in the room that'll lead the way? Do we have some folks that'll put the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, on their shoulders and say, okay, here we go. I wonder how long they stood there. So they stepped in. And it says, as soon as they stepped in, not while they stepped in, not before they stepped in, not when they prayed and fasted to step in, not when they hoped to step in, but as soon as they physically made the act of stepping in, boom, the water's heaped up. They didn't just heap up, but the ground dried up. It says that they stood firm on dry ground. Because if the ground had not been dried, they would be sinking with the Ark of the Covenant on them. It means that God does not only do a miracle to heap the water up, but he does a miracle to sure your footing up as well. That though the first step feels like a step of faith, the rest of them are a move of God. This is when the Bible says that the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Here's the breakdown of those words. A lamp into my feet says that it gives me enough light to see the next step. And a light into my path, it gives me enough light to see a vision of a direction where I'm going. But the two lights never meet. So sometimes we get a vision, but we don't get to see the path. We get a vision of what God wants to do, but we only get enough light to take the first step. And the journey of taking the land is built on faithful men and women taking steps of faith into what God is doing. Sometimes there is an open windows of heaven moment where God just blesses it. But most of the time, it's because of our faithfulness to say whatever the water looks like, we're gonna cross, we're gonna step in. I'm not gonna use those today. It shows us that our impossible situations with God are opportunities for him to show up. What are you standing in front of today? What is the river that you're standing in front of that looks too big to deal with? Maybe you're a student in this room and, and the school looks just too big to take. Maybe it just looks too dark. There's just too many things that are going on. There's just too many drugs in our, in our, in, in our area. There's just too much, there's too much trafficking problems. There's too much foster care. There's too, there's too many, there's too many, there's too many people that think different than us. I'm like, bring it on. Because I'm not going to fight with physical eyes anymore. I'm going to fight with spiritual eyes. I'm going to tear down the strongholds, the dominions, the lies of the enemy. I'm going to take back ground. That's the river that we're standing in front of as a church. This is our area. And things aren't going to happen on our watch anymore. 
If there's foster care issues, we're gonna foster. We're gonna adopt. That's who we are. If there's trafficking issues, we're gonna rescue girls and boys out. We're gonna become a safe place. That's who we are. If there's drug issues, we're gonna bring freedom. We're gonna get recovery going. We're gonna be the stopgap in the area. It's gonna be like Ezekiel where it says, I surveyed the land and I didn't see anybody to stand in the gap, but God will say, I surveyed the land and their day spring was. They were standing in the gap. They were a stopgap for their community. Look, the, the university is too hard. It's too far gone. It's too this, it's too that. Not on our watch. There's revival coming. Salvation is at that house. Oh, the high schools. Oh, they're too broken. The kids are too gone. They're just so disrespectful. Not on our watch. Not on our watch. We have a land to take. And God is looking for faithful men and women who will say, I'm taking the land. I'm going to get in the water and I'm going to watch it heat. I'm going to watch it dry up. And what if in 2021 we looked and we said, can you believe God did that? Can you believe that God let Dayspring baptize 1,200 people? Can you believe that we saw over 800 people filled with the Holy Spirit? Could you imagine that God allowed us to plant not just one church, but two churches that are taking our land back? Could you imagine what God would do if we decided we're all in? We're stepping in the water. We're not going to be held back because it looks scary or it looks too big. No, not on our watch. Oh, but you don't know what happened in the past. You don't know how it used to be. I don't think God cares how it used to be. I think God's doing something new. And he's saying, day spring, light it up. Step in the water and watch me move. Can we pray this morning? Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're so good to us. God, I thank you that you've given us opportunities to be good neighbors, to be hands and feet, to see you do a work in our area, our neighborhoods. God, that on our watch, ooh, things are not gonna happen anymore. We're gonna take it serious. We're gonna fight with spiritual eyes. God, that we're gonna go where your presence is, that if you tell us to do something, we're gonna unwaveringly go after it. God, that we're gonna get ourselves ready. We're gonna purify and sanctify ourselves. God, first with our hearts, then our marriages, our finances, our relationships. God, we're gonna get ready to be used as a drink offering to this area for you. And Father, we know that when the river rages, we're gonna step in. We're gonna let our faith go before us at the opportunities of the Lord.